Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Clones, what a Thursday. What's going on? History going down in the jungle. The OJ verdict breaking right as we went off the air. I've got thoughts on how OJ handled himself and how he nearly blew a layup on his way out of the slammer. Plus, three great guests as well. We had quarterback Derek Carr of the Raiders. We had the head coach of the Trailblazers, Terry Stotts, and Washington State's Mike Leach throwing fire from Pullman all over his former employers at Texas Tech. A wild day, one of a kind, and a nice, tight podcast to get you all caught up. Alvy, go ahead and roll. O.J. Simpson has had his time before the parole board, and now they have broken off, and they're going to come back with their decision maybe in the next 15 or 20 minutes. And again, that thing did not go the way that I thought it would. I'm looking for your reaction. This is an easy one for you to call and talk about because I know you all saw it. What do you make of what you just saw? 1-800-636-8686. There are four commissioners that are going to weigh in here. If any of the four, and they're in Carson City, vote to deny his release, or if there's a split, then there are two others that get to weigh in, and they need a majority. Should the vote end in a 3-3 tie, he has to return for another hearing in January of 2018. Again, I have no idea who was talking to this guy, who was advising this guy, what playbook he was running, but I don't think he could have handled it much worse. And as I mentioned at the top, what he needed to do was go in there and just own it. Because the fact is, by all reports, he was a model citizen for nine years. So why would you spend nine years in prison and do almost everything right, handle yourself perfectly, set yourself up for that parole, only to give it back in an hour in front of the parole board? And how do you give it back? By not owning it, by trying to explain what happened previously and by saying that you really don't know why you were in prison to begin with because the property was yours. I'm in jail for for trying to retrieve. <laughs> you know, it, it was my property. I wasn't there to steal from anybody. And I would never, ever pull a weapon on anybody. So you believe that the property was yours? It's been ruled legally by the state of California that it was my property, and they've given it to me. I yeah, that's always a good idea, to lash out at the parole board that is going to decide whether or not you get to go free or stay another year or three or five. When the parole board member said, so, you think it's your property? It's been ruled that it's my property. It's been ruled I don't legally know. by the state. I don't know. If it were me and I had spent nine years there already, I think that I'd just roll out there and say, I'm sorry. It's a terrible decision. Bad mistake. I've regretted it every single day since. I am sorry that I handled that like that. It was a big mistake. I would never do that again. I'll tell you what, watching this guy, listening to him, checking his demeanor, he doesn't seem like he's changed all that much to me. He seemed like the same old Oge. So now we wait, and we'll see. This email. Oh, look who's here. Case Savage in Texas. Lady Clone, allegedly. I hope, but I don't know. 
she emails, board member, happy belated 90th birthday, Juice. So how does it feel to be that old? Juice. Uh, uh, I'm actually only 70. Board member, yeah, I know, but you're still 90. Yeah, Rome. They seem the most logical to make decisions. Yeah, they don't seem real logical. They admit that they were nervous. One of them is rocking a chief's tie. And one said that he was 90. And you're trusting them to make that decision on Oge and anybody else who comes before the board. A circus. All right, let's go to the phones. We're waiting on the decision still. California. Hey, Sparrow, can we be a little more specific than California? Hey, let's go to the United States. Let's go to Earth. Scott in Earth. Hey, Scott, what's going on? How are you? I said, I said no, Cal. So okay, there you, you go. Thank you. Anyway, where do they get these commissioners? Like, they pull them off a nickel slot out of one of the casinos in Reno? I mean, let's see. We go from four, but if we tie, let's add two more people. I mean, I mean, how about we do this? Let's go to five. What do you, what do you think, Nevada? Let's, let's, let's try that and see if we can not have a, a split decision here. I mean, it's ridiculous. And then O.J., his lawyer... Did you hear this? He was talking about some letter he wrote to some uh, some uh, politician in Nevada using OJ's clout, but he didn't he, his clout. This guy's a double murderer in prison for robbery, and he's got clout in the state state of Nevada. So I mean, th- this this whole thing is an absolute joke. And I would, in fact, I would add years to him. I think I'd give him another five just for this performance today. Yeah, well, it, not smart at all. And he might have bought himself more time. I, I'm not. I'm stunned by it, honestly. I really am stunned by it. How do you come in with that game plan? How do you come in with that demeanor? How do you come in and say the things that he said? He may get out, but to me, it was pretty much a no-brainer. Coming in, it was all set up for him. You sit down. You say as little as possible. You apologize. You bust the hell out. Instead, he offered up what might be not only my favorite athlete quote ever, but my favorite quote by any human being ever. Quote, I basically think I've lived a conflict-free life. I basically have spent a conflict-free life. You killed two people. A conflict-free life. All right, let's go here. Let's go to Medford. This guy's a very good friend of the program. And he has experience. With our legal system. I am really, really curious what Trapper has to say about this. My man, Trapper, a week before the smack-off, no less. Trap, what's up? Hey, Jimmy. How you doing, buddy? Great. Trapper, how are you? Uh, yeah, a little bit roughly. It's telling me I got stage four, and they're giving me one to two years. But uh, heading for the Cleveland Clinic in early August and with some jungle karma, well, we're, <laughs> we're going to beat it there. Uh, yeah, oh, yes, you report- are. Yeah, damn right, buddy. Some of us recall how much run the juice got here in the jungle a few years back. As you know, his parole review is going on right now. Yeah, horrible, horrible tactic going in there. Um, But it's who he is. It is who he is. It's it's like somebody in the the White House. He just can't help himself. Uh, But number one bad saying today between wife beating and that, one thing, Scott, though, the double murder is not going to factor in because... Uh, he was acquitted on that, and it's, it's not really an issue. But he hasn't attended, but just getting close to his prison behavior, 
He hasn't attended the classes he was supposed to. And I got to tell you, kidnapping and armed robbery, nine years is way soft for those for those serious and violent felonies, Jim. Uh, he had to come in on, on the gossamer wings of angels today to pull this off. And uh, I say keep him in. I wouldn't have been in New York a minute. Interesting. Anyhow, it's usually tramps, uh, tramps and out today, buddy. It's no retreat, no surrender, all in next Friday and beyond. My well, man, Trapper, good job. I look forward to it. I will see you next Friday. All right, so Trapper is coming at it from a different angle saying, hey, let me tell you something. Robbery and kidnapping? Robbery and kidnapping will get you nine years and should get you even more. My feeling was, you know, that particular punishment probably doesn't fit that crime. Trapper's saying, oh, no, hold up. It does. It does. And more so. And that he would have been lucky to get out as is without him coming in the way he came in. We're still waiting. The commission has not yet come back out. But a decision is expected shortly from the parole board. Let's go to Calgary this time. Bob in Calgary. Nice to have you, Bob. How are you? Rome, what's going on? What's going on? There's no way OJ goes back to prison. Why not? He can't fit his head in the cell. <laughs> it's like an orange on a toothpick for... Ah! No. I love a guy that laughs you at his own like joke. I don't like that call. Rome, there's no way that OJ goes back to prison. Why, Bob? Because they can't fit his head in a cell. It's like an orange on a toothpick. Clones, time for me to talk to you about stamps.com. Stamps.com saves you time and money, which you can use to grow your business. I can mail any letter, any package, using just my computer and printer, and the mailman picks it right up. I can avoid the hassle of the post office and mail everything from postcards to envelopes to packages, domestic or international. Stamps.com makes it so easy. They'll send you a digital scale, automatically calculates exact postage. Stamps.com. We will help you decide the very best class of mail based on your needs. There is no need to lease an expensive postage meter. Don't do that. I use Stamps.com for a number of reasons, but most of all, because I hate going to the post office. And I'll never do it ever again. And right now, you too can enjoy the Stamps.com service with a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale without long-term commitments. Go to Stamps.com. Click on the microphone at the very top of the homepage. Type in Rome. Stamps.com. Enter Rome. Stamps.com. Never go to the post office ever again. That's Stamps.com. Now it's back to our daily jungle. Let's get a phone call in here again. John, San Antonio. You made it in. John, how are you? Hey, Jimmy. I appreciate you taking the call. Dude, I am so pissed off right now. You know, nine years, Jim, this guy sat in a cell and he thought about this day. And when he found out about this day... This is what he rolled in with. I mean, I'm sitting here be beside myself that, that he couldn't come with something better. You know, like, I'm sorry that I did this. You know, uh, humility, contrition, an apology. But he ran with that, oh, look, it's my property. Red from Shawshank Redemption can't believe this guy just went with what he went with. And you know what I'm really pissed off about? O.J. owned the news cycle in the 90s, and he took up a lot of time in my life, and then he did it again in the in 2007 and 8, and I'm sitting here right now, and I'm watching this damn thing, and I'm pissed off at myself because I'm hooked by this guy. I had a perfectly good life when I woke up this morning, and this son of a gun just took it downhill, and I'm pretty pissed off at myself. I really got a problem with John right now. Thanks for taking the call, Jim. I'm out. Well, man, that's at least four pissed offs that I could count. You know, 
I think I know why he didn't apologize. I think I know why he didn't say I'm sorry. Because he's not. That said, listen, this guy is an actor. He's an actor. Even if he's not sorry, and you know he's not, he made that very clear, he's not sorry. He's not sorry for what he did. He's sorry for the position he's in. He's not sorry for robbery and kidnapping. He's sorry that he spent nine years, quote, trying to chase down property that he thought belonged to him. But even if he's not sorry, I thought the guy would have enough sense to fake it, to act his way through it. After all, the guy is an actor. I'm shocked. I'm shocked that he didn't do that. Let's go to Chad in L.A., who's probably got a response to Brad from earlier today. Chad, how are you? Doing well, Rome. Yeah, I'm on vacation, but word just got back to me that Brad finally came up with a response to my massacre from last year. Jimafree Targaryen? What, what the hell are you talking about, Brad? This isn't the game of clones. I know your butt hurt that I beat you with a reset from a decade ago, but I wasn't even listening. Sorry to do it to you, Chad. Let me jump in. We go now to the parole hearing for the announcement. You deserve to be sent to prison. You've been in prison now almost nine years, the minimum amount imposed by the court. You have complied with the rules of the prison. You have programmed in an acceptable manner. You have no prior conviction of criminal activity. You are a low risk to reoffend on our guidelines. You have community support and stable release plans. We've heard from you and from your victim. The question here, as with all parole hearings, is whether or not you have served enough time in prison on this case. Considering all of these factors, my vote is to grant your parole effective when eligible. Thank you. And I concur with Commissioner Corda and grant parole. And in addition, our decision, although difficult, is fair and just. I concur with Commissioner Corda and agree to grant parole. Um, Mr. Simpson, before I cast my vote, um, I want to let you know that we believe that we're a fair board. We believe that we're a consistent board. Um, I will let you know that that consistency also goes to parole. And um, we do not look kindly upon parole violations. Um, and if I cast my vote to grant and, the, and it concludes the hearing, uh, our expectation would be... All right, that can I jump in? There you go. Three of the four. Of the first three that, voted yes. Um, She's the fourth. We don't know. He'll be out. Well, I think this guy beat that rap. We'll break it all down tomorrow. <laughs> Derek Carr is my guest. The team is coming off a season, Derek, where it reached the playoffs for the first time in more than a decade, and you've added some nice pieces. Knowing that, how pumped are you then to get to training camp and start working on the coming season? Yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's such an exciting time. You know, it really is uh, to have 
uh, all the pieces that we've added, all the guys coming back from last year and the year before, and uh, just to see, you know, how much our team has grown in just, you know, the past, you know, three or four years is uh, is phenomenal. You know, the expectation level is different, the uh, the culture is different, and uh, so it's a very exciting time for us uh, in our organization. But at the same time, uh, you know, it's not very exciting if you don't go put the work in. So uh, we have a lot of work to do. Um, you know, like. You know, uh, I said, uh, you know, to somebody the other day, I said, we didn't even beat the Chiefs last year. You know, so we have a lot to do to get better as a football team, and uh, it starts in training camp. Raiders quarterback Derek Hart joins us. Now, Derek, one of the additions, of course, is Marshawn Lynch. What was your reaction when you heard that news, and what's it been like working with him so far? Yeah, man, it was just amazing. You know, we got on the phone really quick and, uh, you know, soon after and uh, began to build our relationship and those things. And, uh, you know, I think – Ever since then, he he doesn't even call me. He, we just Facetime. He, he wants he wants to see my face every time I talk to him. So, uh, you know, uh, just building that you know running back quarterback relationship because we're standing by each other the whole game, and uh, uh, it's been amazing. You know, not only you know we all know what he can do as a player, and uh, we've all seen it, um, you know, on our team through OTAs and those things, but. It's just the the leadership he brings and the mentality, you know, grabbing the young running backs and watching film with them and teaching them what he sees and all those kind of things. I mean, he's just he's done a great job of coming in and helping our team get better. Derek Carr, our guest. So, Derek, what was it like to lead the team back to the postseason and knowing what what that meant to Raider Nation, only to have the opportunity to play in the postseason ripped away from you because of a broken leg against the Colts? Yeah, it, it was it was hard, man. Not gonna lie, it was really hard to sit there and watch. Uh, but I did get joy out of, uh, you know, being able to help lead our team back to the playoffs and say, you know, here you go, fans. <laughs> you know, at least, at least we got back. At least uh, we're, we're we're heading back that way. And so, uh, you know, th- those moments right there uh, meant everything. And it was a lot of fun. Uh, but like you said, um, you know, my broke my ankle. You know, and but uh, you know, many people look at it different ways. I looked at it as, you know, it's just a broken ankle. I was blessed that it wasn't worse. And so. Uh, keeping that mindset and keeping, uh, you know, uh, my attitude the right way uh, and my faith, uh, you know, knowing that everything was going to be all right, uh, you know, uh, kept me going, <laughs> you know, to be honest. So uh, really looking forward to getting back out there, though, this year. You know, there's always a way that you got to approach something like that. For instance, when an athlete suffers an injury, there's always that question about what's the tougher part of the comeback, the physical side or the mental side. I know you've done a lot of drills where you've dropped back to pass and had coaches throwing bags at your feet and your legs. So what's it done for you from a mental standpoint in terms of your confidence in the leg and getting ready for the traffic that you know you'll face in the pocket? Yeah, you know, I think the first thing, uh, you know, that I was really worried about was just the physical part mentally. Uh, you know, I remember uh, after my surgery, I had, uh, you know, fallen asleep and taken a nap. I woke up and my wife said, check your phone. And I checked my phone, and Kobe Bryant had tweeted me mm. and said, "Come back, you know, better than ever. Come back stronger than ever." And uh, that right there, my the whole mindset for me, uh, it turned on right then. You know, it was time. It was you know time to stop napping. It was time to start rehabbing. So I just started to wiggle my toes, move my ankle as much as I could, you know, in my cast and all those things. And uh, that part was easy. Uh, so the mental side, because Kobe's my favorite athlete of all time, you know, for someone to you know, their favorite athlete, reach out and tell them that. I mean, what more motivation could you want, you know? And so mentally it was good, but uh, physically that was the hardest part uh, was just, you know, dropping back for the first time, you know, uh, during OTAs, you know, feeling that rush for the first time and having to step up in the pocket really hard and trust it 
And to be honest, it felt stronger. Um, so I think that that gave me a lot of confidence this offseason, knowing that, yeah, actually with that plate in there, that actually feels better. <laughs> See, that's a great story, Derek. So of all guys, I mean, somebody as a professional athlete who's having the kind of success and career you have, I'm curious, why was Kobe your guy of all guys? He is the uh, he's the most competitive person I could ever find. Um, his drive, his work ethic, uh, were unmatched, and that is how I view you know my game ever since I was little. Is I am gonna I don't care who you put next to me. I don't care who you, who you put you know uh, you know in the same place as I am. I'm gonna outwork you. I'm gonna bite your head off to try and win that game. Now, do you win them all? No, but. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind that more times than not, or eventually, I'm gonna I'm gonna end up getting better, and I'm gonna end up, uh, you know, biting your head off. And I just that that whole mindset and mentality I saw in Kobe was something that I wanted. And so, I watched him, watched every game, you know, watched uh, every interview, everything, to just learn how he got his mind to that place and uh, tried to emulate it. Derek Hart joining us. You know, Derek, last month the team took some time off from OTAs, and you hit up a go kart track. I'd ask you about that, but I want to ask you about something else because that's not the only karting that you've done recently. Earlier in the offseason, you and your brother David did some karting with a 15-year-old boy who is being treated for lymphoma as part of an event for Valley Children's Hospital. It's, of course, the same hospital where your son Dallas was treated shortly after he was born. So knowing how much that hospital meant to you and your family, what does it mean to you to be able to give back and support it the way you have? Oh, man, that's right. And, uh, you know, like you said, that's where... You know, our son was, you know, so we know that feeling, you know, we know that feeling as parents, we know that feeling, obviously, for our child. And so uh, anytime that, you know, we can go back to Valley Children's and just make someone smile, um, you know, cheer somebody up, put our arms around them, love on them, uh, pray with them, uh, you know, whatever we can do um, to just be there and love on them. Because uh, I tell you what, you know, a lot of times, uh, when you're in situations like that, people forget about the parents too. So, you know, my brother and I and my wife, when we go back there, we, we try not only to, you know, bless the kid's life, and obviously they're excited because, you know, they're a Raider fan or maybe they're just a football fan, you know, and they just want to see someone. You know, to be honest, some of these kids just like people that are tall. So when you walk in there, they're just like, wow, that's really cool. You know, so uh, anything that we could do to make them happy or smile, uh, but at the same time, be there for the parents as well. Because uh, we know that feeling firsthand. So uh, it's very close to our heart, and it's something that uh, we'll do for the rest of our life. Raiders quarterback Derek Carr joins us for a few more moments. So, of course, there's no way that I let you go without asking you about Dallas. In fact, how are both your boys doing these days? Yeah, thank you, man. Yeah, you always you always care, man. So uh, they're doing great, Dallas. Uh, we just had his birthday party because he turns four when I'm in training camp. So uh, we had his birthday party. Uh, he got to swim and hang out with all his cousins and everybody. So he had a great time. And then Decker, uh, he's uh, he just turned 16 months, and uh, that that kid, he's almost as big as his four-year-old brother. I don't know, I don't know what he's going to do. Maybe he's going to come off the edge. I had uh, Uncle Khalil <laughs> teaching him some pass rush moves, so we'll see. <laughs> Super. Maybe he's going to come off the edge. So, is if the off season? It's great to hear that about both boys. If the off season was not busy enough, we haven't had a chance to talk about the fact that the team is moving to Las Vegas. So why don't you leave us with that thought? I know what it meant to you and what it means to you to play in Oakland, but is there a part of you that feels like at least a decision has been made and all that speculation is now over? Yeah, I think it just lets everyone know like where we stand. You know, uh, you know the uncertainty I think is harder. Um, you know, I know that leaving is not easy uh, by any stretch of means. Uh, you know, it's nothing that anybody wanted. Um, you know, everyone loves Oakland. We love our city. Uh, and, you know, thank the Lord we have a couple of years to spend here still, um, you know, and try and bring a championship home. But we do know that 
that one day we will be going to Vegas. So uh, we feel the excitement uh, from those fans, but we feel the pain and we feel the hurt that our fans have here at home. And, uh, you know, that's why we're going to do everything in our power uh, to do uh, to win a uh, AFC to win the AFC West and bring a championship home, you know, back to Oakland before we leave. We're talking to Mike Leach. He is the head coach at Washington State. He's a New York Times bestselling author. You know, Mike, I had Lincoln Riley, your former quarterback, on the show after he was introduced as the new head coach to Oklahoma. Naturally, we got around to talking about his transition from being a player to a coach. Daniel Holgerson has said that you told Riley, "Quote." You know you're not a very good quarterback, but you're asking a lot of really smart questions, so you might ought to try coaching, end quote. So what do you remember about Riley as a player and then about that transition to coaching? Uh, well, Lincoln, so Lincoln's, uh, Lincoln's one of those guys that's always been kind of one of the older kids in the class. By that, I mean, you know, a little taller than most. I mean, people caught up to him by the time he got to college, but taller than most, hung out more with the adults and the kids. Uh, the uh, the adults would tell, go come up to guys like me and say, "Why can't you be more like the Riley kids?" You know, he's uh, he's very polite. He's got good manners, and he always stands up straight. You know that type of thing. And and um, so a very conscientious guy, extremely conscientious guy. So we go out there, and um, and I've got in this particular year, I got a bunch of walk-ons and, at quarterback. You know, guys that just show up and say. I want to play quarterback. And so over spring, you know, we kind of pair through them. And so then uh, in Lincoln's one, I'm one kid, I'm just going to cut out. Right. And then, um, and then, so Lincoln, and I'm thinking I'm cutting Lincoln out. Right. Too. And so then Lincoln picked up the package extremely quickly. I mean, knew the plays and not just the plays, but okay. I understood stuff like, okay, we're doing this to set this up and the safety commits. And then this guy comes to the, space of safety vacated so then we should have a throw here and if we don't have a throw here it's because a linebacker um filled here then we got the guy underneath there you know i just understood how it all wound together and then he um well but he threw it sidearm uh probably can't throw it as far as i can now i'm really <laughs> certain that he couldn't in his prime throw it as far as i can now uh, right. uh, he'll argue with that cause, but the thing is is uh, of course he'll be wrong and then um so then uh, he, uh, uh, so then I, you know, but I was very impressed with how he picked it up. And then the way he gets going to the huddle, and by the time, you know, walk ons going, you're dealing with not just the threes, but below the threes. And he's sitting there instructing everybody on what to do and stuff like that. And I thought he did a good job. Well, so anyway, so I bring him in and cut him. And, uh, which I figured he'd be upset about that, but I thought he'd be happy where I said, you know, but I want you to be a student assistant and coach with us. Oh heck no! He 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 uh uh he you now he explained you know the uh, in a very mature fashion explained to me on what the Red Raiders were missing out on uh, by not allowing him to play at quarterback and and uh, that he was going to have to think about this because he planned to be a starting quarterback somewhere and so he talked to some folks and and so you know he, he no he didn't accept it and then the next day. He came in and later accepted it, and he's done a tremendous job. Was you know literally my right hand guy for like seven years, and and um, which is why I made him a full time coach so quickly because there are all these guys with all this experience. Everybody says so and so's got experience, but you know Lincoln uh, had experience with me specifically, uh, and whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, it, it fit what I was after, you know. 
And um, so, yeah, he was the youngest uh, full-time coach in the country and did a really good job of it. Listen, he's an outlier. Mike Lee's joining us. I mean, he's certainly an outlier. But let me ask you this, because that staff that you had at Texas Tech was truly amazing. You, Holgerson, Art Bryles, Sonny Dykes, to name a few, and then all your quarterbacks who you've gone on or who have gone on to become coaches themselves, like Riley and Cliff Kingsbury, among others. So how do you go about selecting assistants and people that you want to work with, and what lets you know that somebody's going to be a good coach and a good member of the staff? You know, I think uh, the biggest thing is I wanted people that were intelligent people that, um, you know, would would, uh, kind of express their thoughts and views because, you know, you need to have your thoughts and views challenged. That doesn't mean that uh, I'll be wise enough. Like if somebody comes to you with a great idea, that doesn't mean that, that that as a leader you'll be smart enough to change, but at least you'll be exposed to perhaps a better option. Okay, and then sometimes it's it's garbage and you were right in the first place. And uh, But the thing is, is just kind of turning over stones and sifting through approaches and ideas I think is very helpful. So we always encouraged that and had as many people as possible – that you know we we could do that uh with and so it, it, it's kind of like we gave guys jobs trust them to do the job and and then all worked very well together and guys thought communicated well together so i've been very proud of those guys the careers that they've had and and how they've been able to go on because i think they've all done a tremendous job and even though you know in some cases it hasn't unfolded the way they'd liked or you know in this business um you know, I mean, guys will get fired whether they should or not. I mean, heck, I got fired, and they didn't even pay me for 2009, and that's the last time that Texas Tech has won nine games. Can you imagine that if all of a sudden the radio people, the end of the year, they owe you a blown, a balloon payment, and they say, well, we're not going to pay you. And, and of course, they couldn't get away with that in most countries, and they couldn't get away with it in any other state except Texas, where Texas will exercise sovereign immunity – on an integrated contract with the government. And, and, and you know, and, 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 and I get a kick out of all these uh, Texans clapping their hands and beating their chests and talking about how they don't like big government, and they're the biggest byproduct of big government. If you work for the state, they'll just take your contract. And uh, that's literally what happened. But anyways, despite that, it was a great setting there. There was fantastic people. Um, the fans at Texas Tech were fantastic. Uh, that uh, you know, uh, and and also the administration, our presidents were great, our chancellors were great, except the chancellor at the end, uh, Kent Hansen, so I will name his name, who was a, a liar, a cheat, and a thief, and um, uh, you know, and a, a career politician, which he's a prime example of why nothing can get done in Washington. You don't have to look any further than him, although um, don't expect the truth to come out of his mouth, but. Um, Despite all that, it was a tremendous place with tremendous players. You know, we had overachievers like Wes Welker, Danny Amendola, uh, mixed in with, you know, the occasional true stud like uh, Michael Crabtree and uh, some of these guys. And um, it was just a great environment. You know, we knew that, uh, you, you know, had this whole underdog mentality. Our staff did, our players did, and uh, went out there and let it fly and slugged away. And then, uh, and then there was a time where we were all about the same age, so it's kind of like these guys exploded out and emerged at the same time. So it's a great time and a great thing, except for the chancellor who was a liar, a cheat, and a thief who owes you money. Yeah, I mean, all the other guys prior to him were great. And then, 
and he was very power hungry, a very power hungry man who uh, didn't like any attention, anybody getting any attention other than him. And so I truly think a big part of it was he was very jealous of the attention. And then I think he'd brag to his friends and the people at the country club that he was going to sign me to some insanely low ball contract. Um, you know, the year before I was, uh, over 10 years, we had the third best record in the conference and, he wanted to pay me uh, a lowball tenth, which of course I refused to you sign. Having that. You weren't having and that. And then Mike. when I refused to sign it, I think, you know, uh, he lost face. And then of course, then the sixty minutes did a story on our football program, and I think he got very jealous of that. Okay, so I think he was planning. Um, I think he was planning to fire me before it ever even uh, the the two thousand nine season. Brad in Corona. Brad, what's going on? Good morning. How are you? Jamarius Targaryen, Rome, father of dragons. How are you, my friend? Great, bud. How about you? I'm great. I'm great. Before, uh, before I confirm my presence in the competition next Friday, though, I just want to say a lot of people were down on me the last time I called in for, uh, I don't know if you remember, Jim, but I just railed on Leff and Legimic Bitch's ears the last time I called. Not very cool. I, uh, I have a responsibility to the people of America and to Les to save exceptionally good material like that for the smack-off. So lesson learned. Today I want to change it up a bit and uh, give some words of encouragement to a couple of my fellow smack-off competitors. Guys, this is free advice from a three-time smack-off champion and the first rookie to ever win one and the only guy ever to go wire to wire. So get your pens out, losers. Chad in L.A., I think that's where he's from, Jim. But, Chad, I don't know if you listened to the show because your smack-off call last year was just a bunch of audio clips of me that you hijacked from Stucknut and then a Glengarry Glen Ross parody that a well-known caller had done word-for-word word seven years before. And uh, that somehow beat me, by the way. Audio of me beat the real me, but never mind. Uh, if you listen to the show, Chad, Rome had Gary Vaynerchuk on last month, and Gary had some words of wisdom that I really want you to take to heart before next Friday. Gary said that to be successful, we should punt every weakness we have and focus only on our strengths. And I, for one, believe him, which is why, Chad, I will be punting all the sports takes directly out of my smack-off call next week, straight through the back of the end zone and focusing on what I do best making fun of lames like you and Lef. And, Chad, I spoke to Gary Vaynerchuk personally about you because I was confused about what to do when a guy's entire life is a weakness. And he told me to tell you to just drive to the tallest building in L.A. that you can find and punt yourself off the roof, my friend. Start over in the afterlife, Chad. Take that to heart, and you're welcome. Also, quick shout-out to Mike and Indy. Michael, I'm a big fan of yours. I always have been. You always seem very concerned about your place in jungle history and whether you're the greatest of all time. And uh, as a three-time smack-off champion, I can tell you I've been thinking a lot about your place in this jungle lately, and I've got it. You, my friend, are the Hakeem Olajuwon of the jungle. We all know you're good. Uh, we kind of remember that one time you won a championship when Jordan wasn't around, but uh, in the end, we really just like to laugh at you because you talk so funny. That's going to do it for me, Jim. I will talk to you next week. Before I go... I'm in the competition, and I just want to say that Vic in NoCal is a big clam. See you soon, boys. Brad in Corona. Go ahead and rack that call. So it's official. We're joined by Portland head coach Terry Stotts. You were in Las Vegas as the Summer League team reached the Summer League championship game. Terry, let me start right there. What's it like for you in Summer League watching the team instead of coaching them? 
Well, it's a little different. Uh, I feel like I should be doing something, but it's a <clears throat> it's a great opportunity for me to kind of sit back and observe not only the players, but it gives uh, the coaching staff uh, a chance to kind of spread their wings a little bit. I thought Jim Moran, one of our assistant coaches, young assistants, did a terrific job. But for me, um, you know, it's trying to take a big picture view, uh, get to know some of the players. Um, and I think it's a great opportunity, learning opportunity for both the players and the coaches. And you get a good look at some of your young guys. Take rookie Caleb Swanigan. He averaged 11 points or 16 points and nearly 11 rebounds, Terry, for the game. That made him just the fourth rookie to average a double-double at the Summer League. So what did you make of how he showed up and especially how he moves the ball? You know, probably the the surprising thing was how well he passed it. Uh, he made – anybody who watched him play any of those games uh, at least two or three times during each game, he would make a, a pass that, you know, just kind of opened your eyes of his ability to see plays. Um so that was very encouraging. I don't think the rebounding really surprised anybody. That's what he did in college, and that's kind of who he is. He's got a great motor. Uh, I think one of the reasons why we had a good run and we made it to the finals was because of his his willpower. I mean, he, we're, we're down in most games, but uh, he's a great competitor. He's very aggressive. Uh, he shot the perimeter shot well. I think he's going to evolve into uh, a very good mid-range shooter if he isn't already. And, uh, you know, you like to see young guys play well in summer league. I don't know if it's necessarily indicative of uh, of what's going to happen in the regular season, but I, I certainly think it's a positive. And he showed um, he sh- he made first team in the summer league, and he and it was very deserving. Terry Stotts joining us. All right, then what about Zach Collins as an example? He was a little bit banged up during summer league play, so maybe you didn't get the chance to see as much of him as you would have liked. But when you look at what he did at Gonzaga and the fact that he's only 19, how bright is his future? Well, I think it's very bright. He had a disappointing summer league, but when you look at, as you mentioned, he's 19 years old. Uh, he's he has a lot of room to grow physically, uh, but he is he's extremely skilled. And again, one of the things when we got him is his mindset. He's very aggressive. He's very determined. He has a, a strong will to achieve and and be great. So. Um, you know, offensively, he has very good instincts uh, in a lot of different ways. Defensively, I think he's already ahead of the curve as far as uh, knowing angles, contesting shots, protecting the rim a little bit. The one thing that obviously stood out for him was physically he got banged around a little bit, and that's to be expected. And, you know, he will over time, he'll get stronger. It's not going to be a, an overnight thing, but he, he'll get stronger. But the things that he already has is difficult to teach. We're talking to Terry Stotts, the head coach of the Portland Trailblazers. You know, Terry, one of the hallmarks of your time with that team has been the fact that the players continue to improve. It's obviously the goal of every single team, but it doesn't happen everywhere. So actually, how do you go about facilitating that? What's your secret to your success in terms of having players improve every single year? Well, I give credit to the players, first of all, because they're good character guys. They love the game. They want to get better. And so when you're starting – when you start with players like that, it makes everybody's jobs easier. And then, you know, I'm very quick to, to credit my coaching staff. They, they spend a lot of time with the players, whether here in Portland or traveling with them in the summer during the season. They get to the gym early, uh, before practice, after practice, before games. Um, so it really there's a synergy between uh, the players' willingness to get better and the coaching staff's willingness and their expertise in getting guys to – to want to improve and then showing them how to improve. Now, Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum have improved every year that they've been in the league. So what are you hoping to see them add to their games this offseason? 
Well, you know, I don't know about adding. Uh, they both, obviously, they're a dynamic scoring group, and I think both of them, uh, the next step is about improved play as a team throughout the season and, and in the playoffs and whatever it takes because they are our best players, because the ball is in their hands a lot, their their ability to make the team better. And some nights that's going to be scoring. Some nights that's going to be facilitating. Uh, some nights, um, you know, taking the defensive challenge. Those are the things uh, I think both of them, you know, obviously they both have their contracts. They've both had some individual success. And whatever it takes for them to uh, help the team win. And I know that sounds a little bit cliche, but I think players get to that point where team accomplishment is really a, flex, a reflection of their play. Yeah, clearly, these guys are both quality guys. They're character guys. I know they're thinking about the team because I see them trying to recruit Carmelo Anthony to come to Portland. Now, I know you'll tell me you can't get into specifics about players. I get that. But in general, Terry, what would your message be to players who might be considering coming to Portland? <laughs> well, that was a well phrased. Like what question. I did? See what I did there? <laughs> See what you did there? Yeah. A little cat and mouse there, huh? Right. right. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, my first in, rodeo, today's coach. Age, in today's age, uh, players are recruiting players. Um, I don't think um, that's that's uh, social media and the familiarity between uh, players. You know, everybody knows back in Magic and and Bird's era. You know, they, there was a disdain where they didn't like talking to each other during the summer. Now there's more of a fraternity among players and there is a lot of communication between players and that's how a lot of times things get done but you know the thing i'm proud about in portland is that we have had success on the court we've turned it around we've been a 50-win team we lost everybody we still made the playoffs um i think the misperception i think portland you know i was in milwaukee and i was in portland and probably the misconception about those two those two towns is that during the NBA season, players come in, uh, they play the game, and they leave, and they don't get a chance to see see the benefits of the city, uh, to experience the city, the fan base, uh, the working environment, all that. And I do know, uh, like Portland is a city that people love to come back to. Former players love being here. When players come here, uh, they love their time here. So. That's that's probably it's easy when you're in a uh, everybody knows about L.A. and Chicago and New York and they know about those those major markets. But I think some of the smaller cities like Portland get overlooked during the course of the regular season and players have a difficult time really appreciating those cities. I'm going to give us both credit. That's a good answer to a good question. Terry Stott's joining us. Now, you and I have talked a little in the past about your background. Your father, Frank, was the coach of the Marshfield Tigers in Wisconsin. And there's this great story about a bus ride to Rhinelander, Wisconsin, where you were sitting in the front seat, and you've talked about how that was a key moment in your path to being a coach. What do you remember about that trip and about being around your father and the team? <laughs> Man, you do your homework. Uh, you know, that was uh, – I remember that was my last year uh, that we were in Marshfield, and I was in sixth grade. And probably the proudest thing about that season was I had a little black blazer, and uh, I got a – a little tiger sewed on the patch and back in those days you know uh players traveled with a coat and tie on the bus and um it was rhinelander was the furthest now i look at the map it wasn't really that far but it was maybe a two-hour bus ride uh at most but to me it was way up there and got to sit in the front of the bus with my dad but you know when you're a six when you're in sixth grade and and you're hanging out with the juniors and seniors in high school and being able to sit on the bench with with the coach and and the team and having them know who you are it was just 
um, it was just a special trip. And, you know, my dad uh, later coached at the University of Guam, which is a whole other story. But uh, just being around him and his practices, uh, obviously, laid the it laid the groundwork for me, I think, subconsciously that basketball was always going to be a part of my life. Clones, thank you very much for listening. Great to have you here. Hope to see you once again tomorrow with another Daily Jungle. Once again, if you have not left a review, it would be great if you did that. And if you have not subscribed, you only have to do that once. So feel free to do that, too. See you next time. We are out. You ever hear something and know the world will never be the same? Houston, we have liftoff. We'll wait until you hear this one. Half price coffee. That's right. Get into McDonald's weekdays before 10.30 a.m. for any size premium roast coffee or iced coffee. Both made with 100% Arabica beans, both half the price. Good is brewing. And that's the sound of your morning changing. Limited time only. May not be combined with any offer or combo meal at participating McDonald's.